Today on Blue 58, the NFL Combine is underway and the Packers are getting ready to make some moves. Or maybe, maybe not. Brian Gutekunst is talking about it, though. Sort of. Kind of. A little. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Yes, the NFL Combine is off and running. And if you've paid attention to how the NFL operates, we're probably going to get the foundations of some significant moves for the Packers this week. We won't know about them until they're they're consummated whenever that happens. But if Aaron Rodgers is traded, the roots of the move probably are going to be planted in this week. Because when you've got all the NFL decision makers in one, not one room, but one place, stuff is going to get done. And I think unless you're you're really kidding yourself, you understand that most like free agent deals and trades and all those sorts of things don't actually get done in that 24-hour quote-unquote legal tampering period before the start of the of the league year in mid-March. So something is going to be going on this week. There is stuff going on for a whole bunch of teams. People are talking about the moves they want to make, and that leads people to wonder if the Packers are talking about making moves with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love and all of those related things. Brian Gutekunst spoke spoke to the media on two different occasions on Tuesday. I'd like to talk a little bit about what he said. I don't have the actual audio of Brian Gutekunst because it seems like he's the sort of person when you pull out his actual words and the actual audio... It seems like he's saying less than if you actually just read the words on the page. Maybe that's by design, but parsing the actual words on the page seems to give you a more clear picture of what he's actually saying. So let's talk about what he actually said. The two biggest topics that he talked about are obviously Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. I'm going to throw Mason Crosby in here too because he addressed that a little bit, and I think that's worth talking about too. So on Rodgers, what did Brian Gutekunst say? First and foremost, quote, He's a great player, but until we have those conversations, I think all options are on the table right now. But we really need to have those conversations. We want what's best for the Green Bay Packers, what's best for Aaron. So we'll get to that once those conversations happen. End quote. A couple of things in there. He hasn't spoken to Rodgers since the end of season meetings. I don't know if there's a whole lot to that, but it does seem to be a little bit different than things have been in the past. He has texted with, with Rodgers. There hasn't been any movement, though, because they don't know exactly what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. We will see if those things change once Rodgers decides whether he wants to play in 2023, whether he wants that to be in Green Bay, and whether he would be agreeable to going somewhere else. All options are on the table. Yes, that is true. I don't put a whole lot of stock into it when NFL executives say that. Because all options are always on the table. You know, you you get reports like so-and-so is available for trade. Well, so-and-so is always available for trade for, you know, the the right price. There's no NFL team, there's no team in professional sports that wouldn't trade practically anybody if you gave them the moon. Everybody's pretty much always available. This is only notable in that it's different from what Gutekunst has said before. Previously, he's been steadfast. No, nope, we're not going to trade Aaron Rodgers. Now he's saying, okay, we're at least theoretically open to it. Not committing to doing it, because why would he? Not committing to bringing Aaron Rodgers back, because why would he do that either? But they're at least 
aware of the possibility of this happening. The next quote is the scarier one to me. Let's just read it. Quote, I don't think it has really adjusted or changed too much, talking about their approach as an aside here uh, with Rodgers, with the overall contract situation. Okay, continuing on. I think we've always kind of known it was going to be year to year with him. I will say our season last year certainly adjusted some things in our thinking a little bit. Obviously, it was a disappointing season, not where we wanted to be. Whenever that happens, you're going to look at a number of things that you're going to change, end quote. So, like I said, a little bit scary to me. Because the thing we've always harped on with this with this Rodgers contract and all the things that the Packers have done over the past couple of years is the plan. What is it? What is it? What is the plan that the Packers have for Aaron Rodgers and the team? Because I think if you look at the way the Packers have constructed their roster basically since the end of the 2019 season, you would be hard-pressed to really figure out a coherent through line. What is it the Packers are trying to do other than try to be good, hopefully? What is the team that they're trying to build? I don't know if you've got a clear answer to that. There may be one answer in there, trying to build a a roster for Jordan Love, but they really haven't tried to build, like go all in on building for the future either. It seems more like fence-sitting than anything. And more to the point, I don't know if you can have a plan when a guy with a contract that big is going year to year. It makes some sense for the Packers to look at Rodgers' situation as a year-to-year sort of thing in 2020. Because after the end of the 2019 season, you draft Jordan Love. It's fair. I think even Aaron Rodgers would be like, oh, well, I, I want to see where I'm at after the season, see where things end up. The Packers are in a, a championship window there. They're a couple plays away from the Super Bowl. Being year-to-year makes sense there, and you're not in a situation where his contract is particularly onerous. It makes some sense for the 2021 season because Aaron Rodgers or someone from his camp or maybe Adam Schefter just making it up says Rodgers wants to be traded during the 2021 offseason. The Packers work through that. They want Rodgers back for 2021 for sure. If you consider things after the season at that point, okay, for sure, you want to be year to year. But doing a big contract structured the way it is and then saying you want to go year to year, that's something. And I'm not sure it reflects all that well on Brian Gutekunst and the, the decision makers with the Packers because, again, it just doesn't seem like there's much of a plan there. However, I will say this. If Brian Gutekunst thought the contract was a good idea at the time and has since changed his mind, some, like he said, some things changed during the season – Doing everything you can to get out of it is absolutely the right move. Yeah, it does make you look silly in the past, but if you think that contract was a mistake, you don't have to keep making that mistake, and you shouldn't. We've talked at length on this podcast and at thepowersweep.com about the sunk cost fallacy, things related to that. If you've made a mistake, the only sensible thing to do is to quit making it. Do what you can to get out of it and go do something else. And that's what the Packers, I think, should be doing if they really think that, boy, we shouldn't have signed this deal. We shouldn't have done this with Aaron Rodgers. If you really think that, get out of it. 
Move on. Find another way forward. It is doable, it's hard, but it's doable, and it's really the only logical thing to do. Overall, my takeaway here is that there has been a tonal shift with the way Brian Gutekunst is talking about Aaron Rodgers. Rob Domofsky, in his report on what Gutekunst said at the Combine, had what I thought was the best summary. And I'll just read you from, from Bob's piece here. Quote, his stance Tuesday was slightly changed from December 6th, when during the Packers' bye week, he said he wanted Rodgers back for the season. As a side note, I would say that's a fairly major shift when he goes from saying that he wants Aaron Rodgers back to saying, well, all options are on the table. But that's just my opinion. Continuing on, then on January 13th, when discussing Rodgers' situation after the season, Gutekunst implied that he still believed Rodgers gave the Packers a better chance to win than if Jordan Love were to take over, end quote. So, a change here from where we were in the past. I think at the most basic level, that's where we're at. Speaking of Jordan Love, though, what does Brian Gutekunst think about him? He's definitely ready to play, is the the main quote here. Continuing on a little bit longer, quote, I think that's the next step in his progression. I think he's ready for that. Not every quarterback comes into this league ready to go out there and play. I think he needed a little time, but over the last year and a half or so, we've seen that next step in his progression. He needs to go out and play, end quote. Now, I don't know what you would expect him to play, expect him to say, other than, yeah, we like Jordan Love, we think he's great, um, we're going to do everything we can to help him succeed, blah, blah, blah. But it is different than what Gutekunst and Lafleur have said in the past. They have taken some pains in the past to say that Jordan Love was a work in progress, that, you know, they like the strides that he's made, but, you know, he's a work in progress, we've got a long way to go. Now they're saying he's ready to go. And cynically, I think there's a, a part of you that could say, like, hey, you know, he's definitely ready to go. And if you're somebody out there who's in the market for a quarterback, shoot, we've got two that might be available. So if you want to give us three first-round picks for Jordan Love, you know, we wouldn't hang up the phone either. Uh, I don't think that's really what he's saying, but I, I don't think you can entirely rule it out either uh, because this is an ongoing situation for the Packers. I can't really... Well, maybe I'll walk that back. I can envision a situation where the Packers want to keep Aaron Rodgers for 2023 and try to keep Jordan Love on the roster. There have been some reports that maybe Jordan Love wouldn't be particularly interested in that, and I can't blame him for that, but I think the Packers could try to ride this out for one more year because if you pick up Jordan Love's 50-year option for 2024, yeah, the dead cap situation with Rodgers is worse next year, but even then... Looking at the super long timeline, if Jordan Love is as good as you think he is, you know, eating it for one year and having 12 years of elite quarterback play again is worth it. And we're getting to the point, we're continuing to say that, remains true that if Jordan Love is good, all of this has been worth it. And yet the bar keeps going up because the Packers keep putting themselves into tougher and tougher situations to get out of. Still remains true for now, but um, boy, it, it gets a little bit tougher. Finally, uh, Gutekunst talked about Mason Crosby, and it sounds like he is at least theoretically interested in bringing him back for next year. He said the, the most important thing that he said was that Crosby should be in better shape for the 2020 
2023 season than he was for 2022. Quote, I think you'll see a stronger leg and different power in his legs on kickoffs this coming year because he won't be coming off that surgery, end quote. Let's pull on that thread a little bit. And we are going to talk about special teamers and things like that later in this episode. But when you look at Crosby's performance on kickoffs, it's hard to argue that it was good. It, w- it was bad. He was one of the worst kickoff kickers in the NFL. The thing we've harped on in the past has been his hang time on kickoff. Crosby's kickoff hang time dropped by almost two-tenths of a second from 2021 to 2022, from 3.78 seconds to 3.59, according to Pro Football Focus, who charts these things for us. It's a big drop. Correspondingly, his kickoff return percentage went way up, too. In 2021, opponents returned 54.6% of his kicks. In 2022, opponents returned 79.7% of his kicks. So again, a big change. However, it's also worth noting that they weren't necessarily returning the ball better. Average yards per return on a Crosby kickoff in 2021 were 25.9 yards. In 2022, it was 22.9. The kickoff coverage was much better. Now, it is worth noting that yards per return is from the starting point, so it's not like they were... you know, teams were starting uh, starting all their kickoff returns at zero and ending up on the 22.9-yard line. But I think you can argue that maybe it actually didn't matter all that much that Crosby's hang time went up because maybe returners had more chances, but the Packers appeared to be covering it particularly well. The net difference between 2021 and 2022 for Mason Crosby may not have been all that great. And as we'll look about later, look at a little bit later. Overall, I think his performance was good for 2022. So if he can have a stronger leg for 2023, maybe it's not all that crazy that the Packers want to have him back. So those are the big three for Gutekunst in the NFL Combine. We'll see what ends up happening there as a result of well, all the work that's going on behind the scenes. I wanted to take a second and follow up on something that we talked about on the last episode I wanted to talk about the Packers defensive backs and their usage in scheme. We talked about Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, and Rasul Douglas playing potentially different roles in 2022 than they did in 2021, and I wondered how that may have affected their play. So I dug into a whole bunch of data. Here's what I have found. Real briefly, and you can read this in an entire article at thepowersweep.com, but what I found was that Adrian Amos actually didn't have that different of a role in 2022 than he did in 2021. His usage was basically the same across the board. I won't bore you with the exact numbers, but he was lining up in the exact same places in 2022 that he was in 2021. And really, for comparison, in 2019 and 20, under Mike Pettin, almost identical there too. That leads me to believe that any decline in his play was unfortunately probably a product of age and just a decline in athleticism than uh, him being used improperly. The same cannot be said for Darnell Savage. He did play differently in 2022 than he did in 2021. He played a lot more in the slot. A lot of time was spent in the slot in 2022. However, he wasn't any better 
in the slot than he was elsewhere. Of the 15 games where he played meaningful snaps, the games where he played the most snaps in the slot were his 7th, 8th, 11th, and 13th best games, according to coverage grade, compiled by Pro Football Focus. And in each of those games, he played at least 25 uh, snaps in the slot. Moving Darnell Savage to the slot did not improve his overall performance. It also probably didn't make him any worse because he was just kind of bad coverage-wise across the grade. Now, it is worth noting that Savage, wherever he was playing, was doing different things on defense than he ever has before. We know that going from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry meant a switch from a man-based system to a zone-based system. But the change for Darnell Savage has been especially precipitous. In 2022, he played a career-low 100 snaps in man coverage. That is down from 2019, where he played 180, and 2020, where he played 154. However, He also played 153 snaps of man coverage in 2021. So I wonder how that fits into the overall picture, because obviously it isn't as simple as he played man and was good and then played zone and he was bad, but there was a bit of a trend here. Why is Darnell Savage playing so much worse in this scheme? And I think you can draw a pretty neat dividing line between when he was playing under Pettin and when he was playing under Barry. He seems to have gotten much worse under Joe Barry. We do have some indications here that he's doing some things differently. I'm not enough of a film grinder to know exactly what he's doing differently and how it may be playing into his overall performance, but it is it is different. Finally, Rasul Douglas played a lot more in the slot, but I'm not sure it really made a difference in his overall result. In 2022, he played more than 21% of his snaps in the slot after playing a total of five snaps there in the previous season. Over the first eight weeks of the season, Douglas was inside, I don't know if you can say almost exclusively, but primarily in the slot. He played 35 more snaps in the slot than he did outside. And really it wasn't until Eric Stokes got injured in week nine that Douglas was playing outside regularly at all. However, it is not so simple as to say that Douglas played well on the outside and played poorly on the inside, as they speculated potentially on Blue 58 last time around. If you look at his best five games by coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus, and his worst five games by the same metric, those two groups of games were composed exactly the same. In his best five games of the season, two of them came in the slot and three of them came outside. In his worst five games of the season, two of them came in the slot and three came outside. If you dig into his numbers a little bit more, you see that Douglas's performance is almost entirely matchup-based. Sometimes he gets good matchups, sometimes he gets bad matchups, but it's not really a result of where he plays. So I think that should be probably encouraging for Packers fans. His performance doesn't appear to be limited by scheme. As long as you can find a place where he can get a good matchup, he should perform well. But there is a chance that he could still get burned depending on who is across from him on a given week. And really, that shouldn't be all that different from from how we look at most NFL players. But I think it's encouraging that he's not just lining up in the slot and getting toasted. 
Let's talk about special teams here for a second. As we finish off our position by position look at the 2022 Green Bay Packers, we've arrived at special teamers. We don't have a whole ton to talk about here. I'm not even going to talk about uh, Jack Coco because long snapper takes are not something I really want to spend a whole lot of time on. But let's talk about Mason Crosby and uh, Pat O'Donnell. If kickers are one of the ultimate results-based positions, the results for Mason Crosby were pretty good. He was more accurate on field goals than he was in the past, the recent past. He was solid on extra points. It was a pretty good season other than the kickoff stuff. He was just one of four on field goals from more than 50 yards away, including a costly miss against the Lions in Week 18. But overall, I think that the the picture was pretty good for Mason Crosby in 2022. It was interesting, for sure, to have kicker be a week in, week out. Is he going to be healthy? Is Ramiz Ahmed going to, to actually play this week? His sort of situation. But when Crosby was out there, again, apart from kickoffs, he was pretty good. And as Brian Gutekunst kind of alluded to in his press conference, a guy who can kick in Lambeau Field is not a bad thing to have around. So if Crosby can be consistent, maybe from 50 in, that still might be worth having around. If he can be a little bit stronger in the leg and a little bit more consistent from outside of 50 yards, you may have something there for 2023. I'm not entirely opposed to bringing him back if his leg could be stronger. I am skeptical of the idea that it would actually be all that much stronger. Pat O'Donnell, meanwhile. Overall, I would say few complaints, and I don't think any of them have really anything to do with Pat O'Donnell, because I don't know if punting for accuracy and trying to pin guys deep is necessarily the right approach, because I think that leads to punting when you probably shouldn't be punting. You know, right around midfield in that 40, the you know, your opponent's 40-yard line to your own 45-yard line sort of way where you can potentially pin them deep, I don't know if that's necessarily that great of an option because you probably should just be trusting your offense and, and trying to go for it a little bit more there. If you can, if it works you know, down and distance-wise, then just trying to really stick those guys deep. However, if you are going to go with that approach, I think O'Donnell seems to have done that pretty well. Let's look at some of the numbers. Landing punts inside the 20, O'Donnell did that 24 times in 2022. 46.2% of his punts landed inside the 20, a career high. For comparison, Corey Bohorquez in 2021 did that just 18 times. J.K. Scott did it 15 times the previous year. And in 2019, J.K. Scott also did it 29 times, but it was just 37.7% of his punts. Touchbacks. When you're trying to pin people deep, getting a touchback is one of the worst things that you can do. O'Donnell did not punt the ball into the end zone all that much. He did it just one time in 2022, a career low. For comparison, Bohorquez did it four times in 2021, and J.K. Scott did it three and four times in 2020 and 2019. Net yards per punt. How did O'Donnell do there? That accounts for return yards and for touchbacks. O'Donnell averaged 40 net yards per punt, the fourth best mark of his career. However, Corey Bohorquez matched that number in 2021. J.K. Scott averaged 37.8 and 39.9 yards per punt in 2020 and 2019. So 
O'Donnell was better at the approach the Packers wanted to use with their punter. I am not convinced that's the right approach to be using at all. If you're going to punt, which is becoming increasingly hard to justify analytically, maybe you should just be ripping off big ones. Like that was the whole deal behind Matt Areza or however you say his name in Buffalo uh, and San Diego State before he was bounced out of the league. He just wanted to kick the the heck out of the ball, just kick it as hard as he could, um, back everybody up, really flip the field. O'Donnell is not that kind of punter. Bohorquez was, but he wasn't consistent enough. And J.K. Scott ended up just not really kind of being anything because they were, they probably tried to do too much with him. If you read about some of the stuff that Sean Menenga did when he was there, you probably call that special teams malpractice. We can dive into that another time. Uh, but the Packers seem to want to go with this hyper-accurate, you know, really drop punts deep sort of situation, sort of approach. I don't know if that's the the right thing to do, but if your offense is going to be as inconsistent as the Packers were in 2022, maybe that is something you should at least be open to. Finally, I want to talk about one little change the Packers made on special teams. Guys that played, quote-unquote, exclusively on special teams. I looked at um, the Lafleur era for guys who have played at least 100 snaps total offense, defense, and special teams, who played at least 60% of their snaps on special teams in a given year. Did the Packers devote more resources to guys who pretty much just played on special teams this year in the past after saying that's something that they wanted to do? I think the answer is a tentative yes. On the 2022 Packers, there were eight guys who played at least 100 total snaps with 60% of their snaps coming on special teams. There were four different guys who played at least 80% of their total snaps on special teams, and they were led by Dallin Levitt, who played 308 total snaps this year, with 308 of them coming on special teams. Not a single snap on defense for Mr. Levitt in 2022. That is fine. That is what you signed him to do. So those eight guys were Dallin Levitt, Tariq Carpenter, Corey Ballantyne, Eric Wilson, Patrick Taylor, Innes Gaines, Tyler Davis, and Isaiah McDuffie. I rip off that list for you because these eight guys were the uh, represented six of the top eight in special teams tackles. The only guys not on this list were Rasul Douglas and Keyshawn Nixon. And I think Nixon would have been on this list had he not turned out to be a pretty solid slot player. Rasul Douglas in addition to playing almost a 1,000 snaps on defense, was very much a special teams regular for the Packers this year. Played 172 special team snaps, the seventh most on the team. But coverage-wise, this seems to have been a pretty solid unit. The Packers did, as a team, give up two block punts this year. Not great. There were some other aspects of special teams that were not perfect either. But at least in terms of covering kicks... Having guys who played regularly and almost exclusively on special teams appears to have been a good decision. Now, how does that compare to past years? Well, in 2022, again, you had eight guys who hit that threshold. In 2021, there were six players. In 2020, there were seven. And in 2019, there were five. So the Packers do seem to be trending upward in that respect. I think we'll need at least one more year of data before we can say definitively that this is the approach that they're trying to go with on special teams. But 
they do seem to be sticking more guys exclusively on special teams, and they have guys that are playing significantly elsewhere playing a lot of snaps on special teams too. Keyshawn Nixon logged more than 200 snaps on special teams in addition to playing fairly extensively on defense. Rasul Douglas, obviously, too, you could throw a guy like Rudy Ford in there too, who played quite a bit on defense, more, I think, than we would have anticipated on defense, and also, I think, logged more than 100 special team snaps too. So the Packers were putting... Guys who are out there for significant snaps on defense and offense on their special teams unit too. Just as they said before, things did improve. They weren't as good as they could have been. But I think at the the most bottom line level, we can say 2022 seems to have been a step in the right direction. They were slightly better on special teams, which given where they've been in the past on special teams is an improvement. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.